So, like a little over 15 years ago, I was with my dad, and my, my family was with him too, when he passed away in the hospital. And he was surrounded by his family, his four kids, my mom, his wife, as we were with him um, for his last words. He was there on the hospital bed. His liver was failing him. And I remember distinctly what, as he was on the hospital bed, the day he went to be with the Lord, um, he kept repeating the same things over and over again, I think to himself, uh, not necessarily to, uh, to us as kids. And I remember my dad saying over and over again, uh, I'm going to heaven, I'm going to heaven, I'm going to heaven, over and over and over again. His last thoughts was on Jesus and the place uh, that he would soon go. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about our passing, your passing? Like what it would be like to go from this life to, to heaven, to be with the Lord. What would that look like? What would that feel like? What would we see? Who would we see? Well, the thing is, the Bible doesn't keep us in the dark when it comes to the new heavens and the new earth that we have to look forward to in the future. But God gives us a sneak peek in different places in the scripture, but especially in Revelation 21 on what we have to look forward to. And I think he does that. I think he doesn't leave us completely in the dark because he wants us to get excited for what is to come. Or he wouldn't tell us anything about it. But he gives us little glimpses, like a little preview so that we get pumped up. Just like, you know, uh, when you watch the preview of a good movie, that preview is supposed to pump you up and get you ready to watch the movie. Well, this is the ultimate preview that we're given. Uh, and it's the new heavens and the new earth that God is creating uh, for us. But the thing about this new heavens and new earth, its focus isn't primarily on a place. Although the Bible describes this place that God is, is giving to us and creating. But the Bible focuses on not the place, but the person who will be there with us. And that's God himself. That God himself will be with us in the new creation. Maybe you heard this kind of illustration from Francis Chan that he gave a while ago. He said that, right, imagine heaven. Imagine if you were in heaven and everything that you could possibly want was there. So um, every relationship that, that, uh, that you value that, that those people are there, you know, your family members, your friends, certain people in the workplace, right? They're all there in heaven. Imagine uh, not only that, but everything that you want is there, right? That, that favorite uh, device that we have, that car that we want, that home that we, we wish we owned, right? All the things that in this life that we think, oh, gosh, I wish I had it, it's there in heaven as well. So all the people you want, all the stuff that you want, but not only that, but all the health that you want, right? All the health issues that we have and the things that, the, the aches and the pains uh, that, that we're experiencing, uh, the different medications that we have to take, right? Keep us well. All of that, no need because all of the health problems are gone, right? So imagine, right? No health problems. Everybody that you want, everything that you want is there. The only thing that's absent is God, is Jesus. So the question then, uh, Francis Chan asks is, how, you know, how would we feel about that? How do we feel about that? Would, would we be disappointed? 
would we think to ourselves, oh, God's not here. I got everything I want. All right, that's all right. Or would we be devastated because the person that we were ultimately waiting for and wanting to be with isn't there? He isn't there. Sometimes we might hear people say, you know, when, when they're trying to reach out to a loved one to, to accept the gospel, receive the gospel, is will say, you know what, don't you want to see so-and-so in heaven? Don't you want to see them in heaven? Well, why don't you, why don't you, you know, uh, ask God to save you? Because you want to see that family member in heaven, don't you? And I think people will say that. That's very common, out of a, a good motives, right? But, uh, and, and we want our family members to be in heaven. But the ultimate picture of heaven isn't family and friends and stuff and health, although those things, right, we, we have, in a sense, if they know the Lord, and we'll have perfect health, we'll have everything we need. But the ultimate reason heaven is heaven is because of the person who is there, and that's God, right? Any vision of heaven without Jesus as the, as the ultimate center of it, right, is not a picture that the Bible describes, what we're going to see in Revelation 21 is this vision of the new creation with God as the center. So let's dive in as we, as we look at what we have to get ready for, what we have to look forward to in this new creation. Starting with verse 1. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the new heaven, first heaven, and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more, right? So God is creating a brand new heaven and earth for his people to live in. But here, here's the thing, right? It says, there's no more sea, right? You're, maybe you're like me, but you love the ocean. You love the beach, boogie boarding, swimming, you know, snorkeling, surfing, just getting in the water. And we read that, we're like, what? Like, no more sea. Oh, no, that doesn't sound like heaven, but we have to remember that, that the book of Revelation uses a lot of symbolism, a lot of symbolism. What he's saying here, right, sea was a, a picture, a symbol in, in ancient times of a place of chaos and disorder, of danger and evil. When it says here there is no sea, he's saying there is complete safety. See, because in the ancient world in the Middle East, the Mediterranean Sea was a wild, wild sea that would often shipwreck boats. Not only that, but in the book of Revelation, one of the beasts, the evil beasts, comes out of the sea. And so when John writes here that the sea was no more, he's not saying there's no ocean to enjoy. He's saying there's complete safety because there's no more danger or chaos or evil. There is safety forever. That's the first thing we can get ready for. Get ready for forever safety. Right? In the world we live in now, things are temporary. We could feel safe in our home, but a year from now, we might not be if crime continues to spike up in our neighborhood. Right? But in the new creation, that never happens. There is forever safety. Forever safety. What that means for us is we no longer have to lock our doors. We no longer need to buy flood insurance. We don't have to purchase hurricane kits, right? Hurricane season when it comes. We've got to stock up because of the danger of hurricanes. We don't need to be getting ready for hurricanes. There's no need to buy alarm systems for our car, no alarm systems for our home, right? Completely safe. 
That's what the new heavens will have. No more sea, no more chaos and danger. Second, we can get ready for closeness with God. Let's look at verse 2 and 3. 2 and 3. It says, I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice on the throne, look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be, will be their God. Remember, heaven again is not primarily about a place, but it's about God's presence, a closeness with God that, that we, we haven't even yet experienced. And the way that the Bible describes this closeness is that of a wedding. Right here, the bride is this city, this heavenly city, coming down from heaven to earth. God is bringing heaven to earth. And he's going to be with his people in a new, special way. And the image we have is that of a wedding, right? a picture of anticipation. One of the things I remember right, it, it, um, you know, getting married is, is the fear of sleeping in on your wedding day. And that was never a problem. That, was, that wasn't a problem for me because right, I was anticipating getting married. That anticipation of a wedding, that, that, um, that newness of life is what's being pictured here, right? Because the bride and the groom are going to experience a new, a new life together. They're going to anticipate a wedding. They're going to anticipate living together for the first time, right? In, in one home, and that's the picture that we're getting here with the new Jerusalem coming down like a bride. It's this closest with God, the way that a bride and a groom experience closeness when they're married. It's the closest with God that we have yet to taste. See, God is with us. He's close to us. The Bible talks about that we cannot run away from his spirit. We can go to the, the, the highest heights. We can go down to the bottom of the ocean. God's spirit is there. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit lives in each one of his people. And so he's never away from us. But just like a, just like a fiancé, right, is, is not yet experiencing total closeness with his fiancé, right, we have not yet experienced the intimacy with God that he has in store for us in this new creation. It's something that is beyond what we can imagine. Closest with God. That's what we have to look forward to. Let's look at verse 4. It says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. The previous things is this life. This life filled with sin and pain and sorrow and grief and suffering will be no more. Here's what we have to look forward to is no more suffering. No more suffering. He will wipe away every, every tear. Going back to my dad, I, I remember when he was in the hospital, he suffered so much because of his liver failure. He would have to get dialysis for his blood, and he had to clean out his blood. He was physically suffering as he would just have to just stay in the hospital bed and not be able to move around very much. His body was just broken, and it was, it was painful as his son to watch, but for him, it, 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 it's no more pain. It's no more suffering. He is in perfection. 
That's what we have to look forward to. This past Monday in our um, gospel community group, we were in small groups, and in, in, in uh, my group, we were talking about just each one of the guys in our group had a physical pain that they were experiencing uh, at that time. And we're just talking about, wow, like in the new creation, we're not going to deal with any of this pain that we're dealing with right now. It'll be, it'll be gone, totally, totally eradicated. And so for us, this means that, that in the new heavens and new earth, whatever stabs at our hearts right now, whatever we are suffering with right now will be gone. Right? And there's a lot of different kinds of pain and suffering that we shed tears over. It, it could be grieving loss, right? Grieving the loss of friends or, or our family and that still is on our hearts right now. We have broken relationships that, that have not been reconciled that have not been made right. We, we carry out hurts of betrayal from a friend, uh, abuse from people in our lives, cruel authority figures. Some of us suffer from pain in our bodies, right? Emotional pain, mental illness, right? Every hurt and pain will be wiped away, just like how we wipe our dishes dry. It'll be gone. We take it away. No more taking medication for the things that, that hurt us. Suffering will not be in our vocabulary anymore. So think about that. Like, what is the pain that's hurting you the most right now? The thing that you're grieving over the most. Right? In the new creation, it's gone. It's no more. And some of us have been dealing with things probably our whole lives. And we cannot fathom what life will be like without that pain. But yet, that's what we have to look forward to, and it's going to be for eternity. And that should pump us up and get us looking forward to this new creation. No more suffering. Let's look at verse 6. Verse 6 says this. It says, Then he said to me, It is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of Life, right? This is God speaking. He's, and he, he's saying that, look, anyone who wants to come, who's thirsty, experience satisfaction, this stream of life. The only prerequisite from drinking from this stream is to be thirsty, right? In our hearts and souls to long for something more than what this life has for us. What God is saying here is that we will have forever satisfaction. That's what we have to get ready to look forward to. Forever satisfaction. Right, we probably had moments in our lives where we were exercising, we were playing a sport, we were super thirsty, and the only thing that we could drink at that time was juice, soda, or Gatorade. Right? So, all right, I'll take it. Right? And, and, you, and you drink that Gatorade, you drink that juice, you drink that soda, but after a little while, it, it quenches your thirst for a few minutes. But then after a while, you're like, oh, Ma, I'm still thirsty. All I really want is water is water. That's the only thing that can quench my thirst. Right? And that's, that's life without Jesus. Right? It's, it's being thirsty and trying to quench that thirst with sugary drinks that will leave us actually thirstier for more. That's what the book of Ecclesiastes is about. King Solomon, right, he had it all. He tried to quench his thirst with money and fame and pleasure. Uh, anything that he wanted, he bought. Nothing was off limits to him. Yet after this 
uh, quest to quench his thirst, he realized that he's still thirsty and that what he really needed was God. It's just like the woman in John chapter 4, the woman at the well, right? She thought that if she could just be with a man, that he would fill all her deepest needs. And so she tried relationship after relationship, and none of those men could quench the thirst in her heart until Jesus came, right, to give her new life. Jesus gives us complete satisfaction. And even in this life as Christians, right, we, we understand that. That's why we came to trust in Jesus, that, that he alone can truly satisfy us. But in this broken world, that satisfaction can be threatened, right? Sin in our lives distracts us from being satisfied with Jesus. Uh, Satan tempts us. The world, right, uh, has temptation. And so we have satisfaction with God, but we've yet to taste full, undistracted satisfaction with him. And that's going to be available when we're with him in the new heavens. It's a satisfaction that a bride and a bridegroom have when they're finally together married. And this will last forever. Let's look at verse 7 and 8. He goes on to say, The one who conquers will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be his son. Uh, he will be my son. But the cowards, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. The second death. No sinners apart from God right, can enter into this new creation. It's a sober reminder that God is holy and he cannot live with unholiness. And so here we see that those who break God's law must be punished, that sinners cannot enter the new city because sinners don't want to live with God anyway. Right? They're like, like, like when, when you have uh, at night, when you turn on the light and the cockroaches scatter from the light, right? Sinners by nature do not want to be with God. The light dispels them. And so the only way that a person can get in, because everyone, right, this describes every person. All of us at, at one point in time were faithless or cowards or detestable. Maybe not murderers, but Jesus said that if you hate someone in your heart, right, that's like committing murder, right? This describes every human being. That is in our nature. And so the only way that we can enter in is through Jesus. That's why he came to live and die for our sins. To make us holy through faith in him. In the new creation, right, there is forever holiness. There's no evil. There's no sin. The things that we wrestle with now, the temptations will be gone. We don't have to deal with it. And all we have will be God's presence to focus on. Forever holiness. But not just that, we'll experience his forever glory in this new creation. Let's look at verse 9. I'm going to read a big chunk now as, as we get some description. The one, uh, then one of the seven angels who had held the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came and spoke with me. Come, I will show you the bride the wife of the Lamb. He then carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, arrayed with God's glory. 
Her radiance was like precious jewel, like jasper stone, clear as crystal. The city had massive high wall with 12 gates. 12 angels were at the gates. The name of the 12 tribes of, the, of Israel's sons were inscribed on the gates. There were uh, three gates on the east, three on the north, three gates on the south, three gates on the west. The city wall had 12 foundations, and the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb were on the foundations. 12 apostles, 12 disciples, and the 12 tribes. This is speaking of the Old Testament people of God, the 12 tribes. The 12 apostles are speaking of the New Testament believers and beyond. This is talking about the city describes right, the people of God, the Old Testament and the people of God in the New Testament and the future. All of God's people will be in God's city. That's why we have the number 12. It represents nobody gets left behind in God's people. And he says this, Then one who spoke with me had a golden measuring rod to measure the city, its gates and its walls. All 144 cubics according to the human measurement which the angel used. Now, why is he giving us measurements? Right, this this uh, new city is a perfect cube, and if you were a reader in the first century, especially a Jewish reader, you would immediately realize: wait, the holy of holies in the temple is a perfect cube. See, um, for for the Old Testament believers. When they would come to worship God, God told them, all right, build a temple. And in the temple is this place called the Holy of Holies. It's where the Ark of the Covenant was. And it was a place where, where the high priest met with God. If you wanted to meet with God, you had to be the high priest. And you could only enter this cube, this Holy of Holies, one time, uh, once a year. And you always had to enter in with a sacrifice. What, what God's saying here is that the new city is the, whole, the new Holy of Holies, where not one priest gets to enter in, but all of God's people now live in the Holy of Holies. All of God's people will experience his, his presence. This is a beautiful picture, right, of heaven really being fellowship with God. Everyone is a high priest in a sense and is able to be with God in his city. And then we get described just the, the, the different uh, stones. In verse 18, the building material of its wall was jasper. The city was pure gold, clear as glass. The foundations of the city wall were adorned with, with every kind of jewel. I'm going to butcher these names. The first foundation is jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth Sardonyx, the sixth, Carnelian, the seventh, Chrysolite, the eighth, Beryl, the ninth, Topaz, the tenth, Chrysopaz, the eighth, uh, eleventh, Jacinth, and the twelfth, Amethyst. 
The 12 gates are 12 pearls. Each individual gate was made of a single pearl. The main city of the gate was pure gold, transparent as glass. I did not see a temple in it because the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it because the glory of God illuminates it, and its lamp is the Lamb. Here's what we have to look forward to is forever glory. Forever glory. These precious stones are reflecting the light of God. And there's no need for sun, there's no need for the moon, because God himself, his glory, will provide all the light that we need. We're going to experience a glory of God and a beauty of God that we can't imagine. Right? Think about the beauty that we see now, God's glory. Right? We live in Hawaii. I think i got to remind myself of that over and over again, where we just look outside and we see Nu'uanu Valley and just the beauty of it. Right? Nu'uanu is so beautiful. Just, just the, you know, the trees, all the foliage. This school is beautiful. Just the way that they have all the different gardens and whatnot. And then we just look towards the ocean and we just see the vast Pacific Ocean, right? Hawaii is such a blessing, right? Where we see the glory of God through his creation. We see the glory of God through our relationships, right? The, the relationships that God has given us that we enjoy, but yet there is a glory and a beauty in this new heavens and new earth that's going to outweigh and outdo any glory that we see on this earth. Right, this is just little samples getting us ready for a beauty of the new creation that's going to blow our minds away. And that's what we have to look forward to. In fact, Paul tells us, to, Paul tells Timothy that God lives in unapproachable light. Like it's so glorious, so beautiful, God's presence that we cannot even enter into it. That's why we need new resurrected bodies in order to be able to exist in this new creation that he has for us. Let's look at verse 24. Let's, let's, let's finish off this section. He says this, The nations will walk by its light, the light of God, and the kings of earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never close by day because it will never be night there. Right? If you're a kid, you're probably stoked. No more bedtime, right? No more night. They will bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those written in the Lamb's book of life. What we have to look forward to, we can get ready for forever unity. Right? The kings of the earth, the nations will come together. This is a picture of every tribe and every nation that's been redeemed by God coming together to worship King Jesus. Jesus said that when I'm lifted up on the cross, I will draw all people to myself. Right? God's heart is to redeem people from every nation. And so when we come together to worship God, we come from different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different situations, right? We're just a small sample of what the new creation is going to look like, where people from all over the world who have trusted in Christ will come together in unity and worship God. So every time we gather together, like this morning, right, we're, we're rehearsing. We're getting ready for what we're reading about here in this text when we fight for unity, right, as a church, right, we're, we're, we're reflecting, right, this, this unity that is going to be in the new creation, right? God has so much in store for us. So how do then we respond then? How do we 
respond to this new creation that we are about to experience. Um, there's some people that say, you know, like, you can be too heavenly-minded that you're no earthly good. You ever heard that phrase before? Like, oh, don't be so heavenly-minded that you're no earthly good. And what they're saying is, you know, people that always talk about heaven, like, they're never thinking about life on earth. It's not going to affect how they live on earth. But really, the people who impacted the most on earth for the gospel were people who were heavenly-minded. Jesus himself was always talking about being with the Father. The disciples wrote about right, the, the new heavens and the new earth, life with God. So it's when we're thinking and we're more consumed about this promise of God, of the new creation, it's going to change and impact the way we live right now. Here are a few ways it does that. The first is this, right? When we, when we really believe that we're going we're gonna to have a life with God in the, in the new creation, it should change how we pursue holiness. We pursue her holiness. Jesus made us holy by his death on the cross. It, holiness, right? He set apart for God. But Jesus is also making us holy, making us more like him. Heaven is a place, and a new creation is a place of no sin. And so when we fight sin in our lives, when we put to death unrighteous anger or greed or lust or pride in our lives, right, what we're doing is we're preparing ourselves like a bride, making ourselves ready, ironing that dress for the new creation. We're getting ready for it. So fighting sin in our lives isn't about keeping a list of rules. It's about preparing to meet the bridegroom. So pursue holiness. Second, because we're receiving a new creation, we can give freely of our lives. Right? Jesus triumphed over sin, Satan, and death, and now we receive Jesus' reward for his victory. We'll receive eternity living with him. We're, think about all the riches that we have, right? We are co-rulers with Jesus in the new heavens and new earth. We have, we'll have everything we need, everything that we want. Our hearts will be full with God's presence. So because Jesus has made us just ridiculously rich, right, that then frees us to be generous with the temporary things in our lives, our time and our energies, our resources. We can now use it to make Jesus' love known to others. Finally, here's how we are to live because we're receiving the new creation. Right? We're to tell others about it. Tell others about the new creation. Because there's going to be people who are going to miss out on entering into the heavenly city because they reject the heavenly king. Everyone whose name is not found in the book of life, right, who has rejected Jesus, will not experience this. Some people think they'll make it into the new creation by being good, by doing enough good deeds, but that doesn't get you in. Right? It's only through faith in Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins, who rose again from the dead to give us this new life and this new creation that we have to look forward to. And then he gives us right, this. He sends us out to share of this promise and this good news to the people in our lives. And one way we can introduce people to this good news is to invite them to our Easter service. So next month, we're having Easter uh, right here at Ma'ima'e. The way it works out, it's our second Sunday. And if there's a time where someone that doesn't know Jesus will come to church, it's Christmas or it's Easter, right? Because Easter, you get Easter egg hunt and, and all that kind of stuff, right? And so we're going to prepare, right, to celebrate the resurrection of Christ 
But let's be praying and, 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 and asking God for boldness to, to invite people in our lives that don't know Jesus in order to hear how they can enter the new creation as well. So let's be praying for boldness and for wisdom in doing that. And, and let's pray that God excites us more and more for this new creation that we have to look forward to. Let's go ahead and pray together. Father, we thank you that you have given us a picture of what we can long and look forward to. And Lord, we pray that you would fan into flame this desire to, to, to just can't wait to be with you in this new creation, that it would change the way we live right now. So continue to do that as we take communion, as we, as we sing to you as our great king, as our father. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.